0: You know, one that I came up with myself is that loud does not take the place of talent. It really doesn't. And these level wars that we've been in for, frankly, ever, it's not a crutch that you can rely on. I mean, you can turn up bad music and it's it's gonna sound bad.
1: Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. Hello, rock stars. It's your host, Lid Shaw. I created this show to introduce you to real-world recording professionals to hear their stories and learn from their experiences so that you can take your records to the next level and be a rock star of the studio yourself. My guest today is mastering engineer John Mayfield. Originally a career musician, John turned to recording and mixing in the 80s, traveling to studios all over the world. A decade later, he moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and started his mastering career with his first Sonic Solutions system. Two decades of mastering have allowed John to work with some very talented artists and clients, including the Dave Matthews Band, Sarah Evans, Kathy Matea, Naturally 7, and Warner Brothers Records and Universal Music Group UK to list a few. I'm very honored to be here with John at his beautiful studio, Mayfield Mastering in Nashville, Tennessee. Please welcome John Mayfield to Recording Studio Rockstars. John, are you ready to rock? You bet. (laughs) Right on, man. Well, so that was a pretty brief introduction I did. Can
0: you tell us a little bit more about who you are and where you come from? Well, I guess uh, we go back to the beginning where I picked up my first guitar at age 13. Metaphorically, I really never put it down. Shall we go through this in real time? I know. Thank you. (laughs) but played professionally when I was growing up. And frankly, those were the days that I learned what music is really all about, the reason for music. I think one of the most exciting times I ever had was playing for a really large crowd that was really into the band's performance and having a great night. That is one of the most wonderful feelings you will ever feel. And it was important for me to learn that. Because that's what music is for. So in my work today, I try to make sure that entertainment level is still there. So anyway, playing music took me to the studio to play as a studio musician. Got interested in the other side of the console and decided it was a career that I wanted to do, to get involved in. So I needed some education, though. You have to have that. But back in the early, real early 70s, there was no place to go get any kind of knowledge. Yeah. But I found a professor at a university in uh, Dallas, uh, at SMU, and he taught me all of the basics. He sort of pulled me under his wing and created classes for me. From there, I got hired uh, in at Dallas. SMU in Texas? That's yeah, right. in uh, Dallas. In Dallas, right. And— a month out of school, got hired at Summit Burnett Studios, which is no longer there, but it was the biggest um, physical studio in the region, really. So there's where I learned recording large groups, the orchestras, the huge choirs, all that type of thing, which was pretty difficult. But yeah, anyway, was there for eight, nine years, went freelance in 82, um, moved here in... To Nashville in '93, recording and mixing the whole time. Frankly, got tired of working seven days a week, 20 hours a day, and thought that getting into mastering, I'd. I'd but they able let you to, sleep
1: for four hours. Uh, just yeah, a lap kinda, of luxury there
0: when you were young. Yeah, <laughs> it was a decision more more of a lifestyle decision and. A lot of questioning and asking from my clients to take my mixes to the next stage. But the number one rule is you don't master your own work. Okay. So you don't do that. Tell can you,
1: Do you want to go into that a little bit? Just explain well, why it is that you don't do that?
0: You can't see the forest for the, for the trees. You're too vested in the project. Yeah. You have too much baggage. You cannot be objective. You're going to be subjective. And your decisions about what the track should sound like have already been made because you've spent weeks mastering it. It's very difficult to come at it with a fresh a fresh mind. Yeah. It's like you've
1: already – you have an idea of what it sounds like because of the idea of what it sounds like as opposed to – Uh, listening to it and hearing it for the first time as it really is
0: exactly but at any rate to, to get back on point like I said I moved here in 93 and in 96 decided to switch gears and change to mastering and it was a wonderful decision it really was because I love the work just as much as I love recording it's a very controlled environment, which uh, when you get older, it's nice to have a little bit of bit of control.
1: It's so you know? quiet in here. Yeah,
0: yeah. It is very, 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 very quiet. As a matter of fact, when we were building the place, I stopped bitching at the contractors when all I could hear were the light filaments buzzing. Right. So uh, we quit at that. So it's pretty <laughs> quiet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's cool. Well, so we're standing here in your control room at Mayfield Mastering. It is similar in some ways to what I've seen in mastering studios. The desk is low. You know, there's not a lot of stuff up in your face. And you have these big, gorgeous looking speakers in the back of the room. What I love about the way this room feels is it feels like a place you would go to just listen to music you yeah. know, listen to the recording. Can you talk a little bit about what it is that makes a mastering room a mastering room?
0: Well, the room is your best tool. It is the best and most important piece of hardware in your whole set. The room has got to be right, and the speakers within the room have got to be the right speakers. They have to be large enough to excite the size of the room that you have. Now, unfortunately, when I was building the place, I built it—it's kind of (laughs) big— So that required um, a fairly hefty expense in the uh, speakers because those need to move the room.
1: Right. The room is like, it's almost like an instrument. You it know? is. And it it is. To, you need to push the air on it. Yeah,
0: it is. That is my most important tool that I have. I'm completely used to it now. I know the room like back of my hand and I know what I should be hearing, let's mm-hmm. say. Beyond that. It's, I've got the same gear everybody else has. Well, I don't have this exact year, Okay, but well, gear, you geek out a little <laughs> bit
1: on your speakers and your amps and all this cool stuff. Why not?
0: Yeah, exactly. Those are uh, PMCs.
1: Yeah, and they're about as tall as me.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: And I'm six feet. Sorry, this is a podcast. I have to say that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're, I have fallen in love with the technology that PMC has. I've listened to a lot of speakers, but, you know, you can get used to any speaker. You really can. And uh, for those of you that are thinking about buying a a, a set of speakers, well, do your research on them and at least get the people that are selling them to you, get them to give you the opportunity to take them to your own room and listen to them because they're going to sound completely different in every room you go to. And you've got to get them to your room in order to audition them before you make the choice because it's going to determine everything you do. It's going to uh, color every decision in EQ. And, well, your whole mixing decision is going to be based on what you're you're listening. So please do some research and make sure that what you're listening to is as good as it can be within the room that you're going to be working.
1: Are there some... General rules, uh-huh. rules of thumb as far as picking the right size and power speaker for the room and the, the
0: shape that you've got that would require an acoustician, <laughs> but <laughs> I can't even say acoustic. I know, right? It's just common sense, you know. You never want to push your amp hard at all. If you buy um, powered speakers, then all of that is taken care of, so you don't have to worry about, yeah. about that. But it's just getting a speaker that is. That works well in your room and knowing the limitations, especially that on the bottom end. And if you need to augment the speakers with a uh, well-placed and designed sub or subs, one for each, that's that's even nicer, then do it. But be extremely careful about putting those subs in and, and getting them tuned correctly. That is an art and...
1: So let's just assume that a lot of our listeners are home studio owners and, you know, they're, they're going, that all sounds great, but how do I do that? What, uh, what If you were to place a sub in your living room, for example, is there a sort of a, a general way of, of approaching that? I'm guessing you
0: maybe it, use this tool right here. Yeah, your ears. Well, yeah, sure. But if you're placing a sub in your living room just for, just for listening, the sub can go almost anywhere. Low frequencies are—they're not directional. You can place a sub uh, off to the left in one uh, corner, and I doubt seriously that you'll be able to realize that it's that it's there, other than the fact that you're hearing a lot more bass. You you don't know where it's come—it's coming from, right? But it's right. there.
1: Yeah, because it's hard to localize low frequencies. Yeah, because they're so. Big that they They're, hit both our ears at the same time. The waveforms
0: right? are huge, so you don't have to be as accurate as far as placement of um, your sub for strictly listening for entertainment. Now, when you get into the studio, we need to talk a little more serious about getting a little more accurate. You're, the obvious place would be in the center of your uh, image. So, but mm-hmm. you have you have to be careful. You have to cross over before you get to your speaks and make sure that you don't have frequencies that are competing. So you run, because you run into phase issues and so yeah. forth. So
1: listening of uh, subs can have just a, a polarity. Absolutely. You don't have a polarity yeah. switch too. So you got to check out. So li-
0: listening is just something you need. You need to do pull up a bunch of CDs you know that sound great and just sit down and listen.
1: Yeah. All right, cool. How would you like to start us off with an inspirational quote? <laughs> Something to kind of get us excited about making records.
0: Well, you know, one that I came up with myself is that loud does not take the place of talent. It really doesn't. And these level wars that we've been in for, frankly, ever, it's not a crutch that you can rely on. I mean, you can turn up bad music and it's going to sound bad. <laughs> Just mean, more of it. <laughs> I, I heard loud was the new black. Is yeah. that not true? <laughs> so... Just uh, loud is there for very, not very smart reasons. You know, when it gets down to it, making music loud is nothing. There's no musicality that is added to music when it's really loud. Now, hard rock, yeah, it needs, it has to be loud.
1: Right. But that's a different kind of loud too, right? That
0: is also different.
1: Let's turn the speakers up loud.
0: It's artistic. So... It doesn't necessarily need to be, uh, you know, mixed loud. It needs to be mastered loud, yeah, sure. But we all have that volume control at home. Unfortunately, there are so many people that are unwilling to use it, which is absolutely, well, it's very discouraging.
1: Well, I think you have to go find your remote control somewhere,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, at any rate, loud does not take the place of talent.
1: All right, good one. does not take the place of talent.
0: How about sharing with us
1: a story of an important failure for you? I mean, you've been making records for
0: decades. Well, I have one that happened to me very early on. Well, I was hired at Summit Studios and I got put back in Studio C, which is where all the radio ads were cut. I was mixing for film back there. It didn't have a clue about how to do that, but I learned. At at any rate, he did a lot of editing, and uh, during the early 70s, everything was analog, and editing was on quarter-inch tape with a splice block tape, the whole routine. So a large client came in to work in Studio A cutting, or they were mixing or whatever. You mean like overweight?
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's not what you mean.
0: No. At any rate, he uh, came in, and he had flown in from another city where he had just produced another album, finished mixing, and he asked me to edit the album together, the mixes oh, together. Man. Scary it.
1: moment. I'm getting scared already. Well
0: there were some uh preliminary edits that had been made at the mix house that generated the master tape. Well at any rate I didn't know about those. And so, you know, we leave our tapes tails out, you know. For obvious reasons. and I was <laughs> It's not re- so obvious anymore. Well, we don't have to I go know. into that too much. Yeah, we don't want to go Suffice there,
1: it to say that you want your tapes to be tails out unless you like pre-delay like Led Zeppelin. It has
0: to do with print-through. So, At any rate, if you want to find out about that, Google it, you'll find it. But at any rate, I had to rewind the master tape. And that was on, on an old Ampex quarter-inch machine. And I hit rewind, and that tape started rewinding as it's supposed to very fast and it hit a splice that was not secure and that puppy went flying tape was all over the room it was just chaotic and it was awful and i spent the next hour trying to splice that one track back together again and i couldn't do it i could not do it the tape was damaged far just it was damaged and the track was gone so i cut the album together what i had left of it (laughs) and i sheepishly made that long walk from studio c up to studio a and i walked into the control room and i walked up to the producer and i said sir i had an accident when i was editing your master tape here i said do you have a backup do you have a copy and he said no that's the only copy Well, I had to admit to him that I destroyed one of his mixes. (laughs) That's
1: so harsh.
0: And he took a little pause, and he kind of looked around the room, and he looked back at me and said, well, I guess the album's going to have one less track. Wow. And he was okay. That's pretty amazing. It was. That
1: immediately makes me wonder if that is part of what distinguishes – you know, him from part of why he was a successful producer is just able to just handle bad
0: situations one and turn of, around. One of many reasons. But it also taught me, don't ever trust any kind of mechanical device. <laughs>
1: yeah, really. You know, I had I had a similar experience at my internship. We had, I think it was the MPEX 440, the, mm-hmm. the four-track or the two-track quarter-inch and they handed me, all I had was the, the MRL tape. So that, that's, you know, sure. uh, rock stars, that's the, the tones real, But they're still expensive, hundreds of dollars, but it wasn't a master cut of the album. <laughs> that they had spent thousands and thousands and thousands on. Oh, man. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think I hit rewind, and then I did the next logical thing, and
0: I hit the stop button. And this was an Ampex 350, which was a tube. Machine. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, it's sort of like a thrashing machine, very basic in its technology, but a good sounding deck. But at any rate, it tore up the track and I will never forget it. I will never forget the walk. How was the song? You never even got to listen to the song. I have no idea what song it it even (laughs) was. I, I think I knew the title. And it was like the second to last song on side. B, of course, we were all vinyl then, right? So that side was a little shorter than it was supposed to I be. I mean, you know, no biggie. It's
1: just one less
0: <laughs> Beatles track that we'll never hear. So I learned I <laughs> learned a lesson about trusting, or just about, in general, being just crazy-ass careful.
1: Yeah, right, right. Back up, yeah. careful,
0: every, assume, back up every uh, you
1: know, day. when I rewind my tape machine at the studio— I just watch it with a hawk eye as much as I can.
0: Oh, absolutely! And I tell
1: my assistants and interns to just watch this stuff. Don't ever trust that it is fine on
0: its own. Yeah, and that
1: you know goes for computers too. I mean, you do have to be yeah. careful, and you got to watch what they're doing.
0: Yeah, when they when they came out with the library wind on analog machines, that was awesome yeah. because it was so slow and perfect that you would never tear up anything.
1: Yeah. Well, let's redeem ourselves here. Can you take us now to a moment of success, something that really worked out well
0: for you? Absolutely. Um, It was my first chance to go over to London and record the London Symphony Orchestra there. Oh, cool. At uh, the old CTS Studios. Those guys are pretty
1: good, aren't they? uh,
0: (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. But I was hired by uh, one of my clients here to go over and record an album there. The very first day, and this was my first time to work in London and record that group. And uh, the very first day, I spent copious time setting the the, the room up. We had about seventy five, eighty players. You know, it was a wonderful room, huge, and it was a great group, just incredible. So we, you know, spent I don't know a day setting up and making sure everything was perfect. So the conductor walks in for the first session. And uh, he steps up to the podium, tap, 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 and the orchestra commences to play. And I'm sitting at a huge Neve console and lots of clients behind me and a lot of people and everything. And it sounded like, it didn't sound good. No, <laughs> oh, no. It sounded terrible. <laughs> and the music was going, and I'm looking at each module, I'm looking at the setup, I'm looking at everything. Now, mind you, this particular producer that was at the podium was a younger producer that was there to try and get some auxiliary tracks cut before the real project started. And we had about three tracks to cut, And all three of them just sounded it just, and I kept looking around the room, and everybody was had kind of a blank look on their face. Who is this guy from the states coming, you know, to cut?
1: You're, you're, we, you're
0: a royal screw-up. Yeah, <laughs> and this was my first chance to cut the symphony, and so I thought, uh-oh, wow, this, this is not cool. So we pulled the tape off, finished, put up the next tape, and the real conductor, the guy that had been hired for the whole project, got up to the podium and talked to the orchestra. He knew them, had worked with them a lot, and took a stick, tap, 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 and the first measure hit. And, oh, my God, the world opened up. It was fabulous. The sound was perfect. Everybody in the room just had smiles on their face. It was like, oh, my God, I, I had goosebumps myself. That wow. doesn't happen very often, right? But I looked around and smiled, and it took us about three days to get everything cut. But then was when I realized the difference between arrangements, Knowing how to arrange, that was everything. And of course, this was the first thing in the morning before they had come back from lunch and having something at the pub. <laughs> but when the sound just opened up, it was absolutely amazing. And I did not touch a thing. I did not move one knob, one fader, nothing. Everything was exactly the same. And oh my God, it was awesome. So that was great. That's so cool
1: because I know that story, different versions of that story. I've been in situations where I've had a vocal mic on a singer and it sounds terrible and I think I'm the worst engineer ever. And then all of a sudden they sing a great take and everything changes about it. Or I've had the same mic set up and a band comes in and one band, it just sounds terrible and I think I really screwed up the miking of this band. And then somebody else sits down at the same mic and plays acoustic guitar and sings and it's incredible sounding, and I've never heard anybody tell the same sort of story, but about an orchestra like that. That's with really eighty amazing. people. With eighty oh people. My God. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of you know magic happens that all of a sudden eighty people and let's include another ten in the control room come sure. into focus
0: all, all like that? Well, you know we're all we're all human, you know. And quite honestly, not even regarding the difference in the arrangements, I I really think that um, this particular producer had such a wonderful history with the orchestra and the first chair and that they, I don't know, they seemed to have a little different attitude yeah. as they were playing, more of a respectful attitude. And the younger producer was somebody that, they really didn't know, and frankly was— um
1: Maybe it was a piece that nobody really understood.
0: Well, it was somewhat similar, but it just wasn't as cool. He may not have been as cool. He didn't know them. They didn't know him. There was no interaction, and he didn't walk up and make them feel really good. So it's interesting
1: because an analogy in, in the studio for songwriters, uh, you know, for pop production would be maybe having a different writer sit down with the same band,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And, mm-hmm. and it, when that synergy is there, when when everybody in the room is really, truly playing together, the sound that just comes out comes out sort of ready to go. It can even sound more mixed, you know.
0: Well, and, you know, also as a recording engineer, yeah, you've got to know all of your technical stuff. You've got to know all that. But maybe even more important part of your job is making the artist feel good when they're in the room cutting and exposing themselves. You know, a lot of your job is just knowing how to work with people and make people feel good around you. It's getting along. Yeah. That's very important. It is important.
1: I guess, I don't know, unless you're going to make music for yourself, by yourself, to listen to alone, then maybe it doesn't matter as much. But yeah, as long yeah. as there's other people involved, yeah. it seems to be a core element of, of getting a great recording.
0: Just be nice, right? Just be
1: nice already. <laughs> so, um, John, I've got some questions here, but I feel like I want to—I know you've had— experience teaching sound and recording and mastering mm-hmm. you have particular experience with what is needed from a mix to have it really sound fantastic on its way to mastering so mm-hmm. that you end up with a great record and I wonder if you wanted to talk about any particular items about that you know
0: well sure and a good part of it is knowing how to prep a mix for mastering and truly it takes a lot of time to learn, to learn this, there are a plethora of things that you really need to know about, but there are some basics. And one of the things that I even do today is referencing. I'm constantly referencing the competition. And frankly, if you look at this business, that's exactly what it is. We are a business just like any other business.
1: Is that what that garbage can full
0: of CDs is over there in the corner? Yes, <laughs> All we're doing is creating a commodity to be sold, hopefully for a profit. So if you are smart about the business aspect of what you're doing, you are constantly making yourself aware of the competition. How do you do that? It's pretty simple. You just turn the radio on, buy CDs. I am constantly listening to what is successful, what is selling, what the public likes at the end of every Grammys. I'll go and buy 20, 25 of the winners in specific genres just to get a feel for what is successful. So as long as you keep your referencing thing going, your sounds are going to be similar. Your sounds are going to be of the same quality. Your arrangements should be the same. You should model your sounds off of what is actually selling because that's, after all, what you're trying to do. So referencing is very Important. The use of high pass filters in digital recording, I think, is very important. There's a lot of information that is recorded per mic that is just not needed. A good example would be, uh, let's say, a, a flute track okay? Flute doesn't have anything down there around 50 hertz, 60. So I think a good rule of thumb in determining where to put your high pass filter is to look at the chart, look at the piece of music, and look at the lowest note that's played by that instrument, go an octave below that, and put a high pass filter in at 24 dB per octave at that point, And you're pretty much guaranteed of not affecting the sound at all. But what you are doing is getting rid of all that low-frequency modulation that you may not even be able to hear, but it's modulating your mix. So why not get rid of it? The story was there was a guy that was mixing a track, and he just couldn't get anything to blend. Nothing would blend. And he asked a friend of his to come over and give him his... Opinion and he said, Well, you know, why don't we put some high pass filters on some of those tracks? And they did it, and all of a sudden everything started blending and things started mixing. They started working better. There's a lot of grunge that's recorded in the digital world that is just not necessary. So use a high pass filter. You didn't have to try as hard, right? And the analog, analog world. tape. Yeah analog circuitry even no
1: or particularly the tape itself would roll off some of the the low lows
0: yeah to a certain degree but in digital digital can record all the way down to dc and for god's sake you don't want that but it will give you back exactly what you put into it a lot of stuff in the frequency ranges that are just not necessary just get rid of them you don't need them so Use, you know, think about using high-pass filters in your mixing.
1: That's a great tip, by the way. I loved how specific you were about how to arrive at the, the frequency to yeah, filter it at.
0: absolutely. You know, it's pretty easy. Um, and please, start using, when, when you're mixing, use the entire space between your left and right speaker. In stereo mixing, that's all you've got to work with. Well, damn it, use it. <laughs> Don't be afraid to pan something hard left. If it doesn't sound right, okay, come back a little bit. But what you're trying to do is carve out a little nest for the most important things that exist in the center image. That's your kick, In contemporary music, that's your kick, your bass, your snare, your lead vocal. Well, all of a sudden, you've got a lot of stuff going on in the center image, and all four of those elements are absolutely important. They've got to be perfect. And you throw acoustic guitar in there on top of it, wrong. Pan it out. Give create a little nest for the things that are most important, and you'll be surprised how you can then start tucking that that uh, lead vocal down into the track, and all of a sudden it starts sounding better. Okay, so let's 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 um, let me dig a little
1: more. Let's say you've recorded your acoustic with one mic at the 12th fret, real classic way of recording the acoustic. Yeah. Do you have any tricks for how to kind of get that out of the center without it just sounding panned to one side, or would you just simply pan it off the center a little bit?
0: Well, is that your only arrangement? I mean, what is in your arrangement? Is there a keyboard? Is there a second track? 500
1: accordions
0: (laughs) (laughs) So really, that's a difficult situation, but there are, are a lot of tools that are available to take a mono track and create stereo from it. You have to be careful. Uh, there are some good ones out there, and there are some really terrible ones that are being used. But the software developers have really come up with some wonderful units. The better ones are more expensive, but the one I found just I find that is pretty fun, although it requires a stereo image. The Ozone Seven Advanced has an image adjuster in it that sounds pretty darn good. Yeah, a widener, a widener that is multi band, and there's it's very creative. But you, I think you have to have a stereo image to start with.
1: Yeah, I think it might be MS or something like that. Yeah. Now, what about the trick where you sometimes you take a track and you you duplicate it, so you got it on the the left or the right and you slightly shift the mm-hmm. the delay of sure. one you know you shift but, the left ever a few milliseconds back
0: that's one of the old classic ways to do it in fact we did it back in the analog days with the harmonizer i think it was the eventide we used to do do that it had some pretty nice settings that you could do that that kind of thing with but the point is is to try and figure out a way to get that mono instrument away from the lead vocalist, which is that's the person you have to honor. And uh, if if you can figure out a way to get it stereo, a second track, uh, performed track is a wonderful way to do it. Yeah, that's always the best. There's also tricks with just, you know, if you do have two
1: mics, you can put one oh, yeah. on one side of the guitar and one on the other and just kind of take it a you know pan of both heart. Exactly. So good tip. All right. Well, I didn't mean to to take us off on a tangent there, so no, keep, keep going. Right. This is
0: great stuff. Okay, your stereo image. Now, in the digital world, to my way of thinking, one of the weakest links in your chain is converting your signal to DIG, your A to D converter. There are a lot of not great converters. Out there. And generally speaking, a stock converter on any system that you end up buying is not going to be state of the art. State of the art costs money. I understand that. But if you have the opportunity to talk with your production people in pre production and lobby for any kind of budget for renting a great converter for your lead vocal, any part that is highlighted, it's really, really money well spent because once you record it, you can't unscrew it up, Right, (laughs) you know? So getting a great A to D with a great clock is always a great thing to do.
1: And once you've captured it in to the digital world and it's, you know, with a clear lens, it's there for good.
0: It's always always going to be there unless you choose to screw it up. Which is a lot of fun. Oh yeah. That's always fun. That's the easy way. To screw it up that's always easy it's hard to keep it great it just takes work and focus now good audio doesn't have to cost a lot of money proper mic choice and mic placement as a matter of fact one of the best rules that i learned really early on was don't go to your eq first go to the mic placement first change the mic but whatever, try to get the source recorded correctly rather than trying to fix it with a Band-Aid. I think we often forget
1: just how good our microphones are. They're, yeah. they're often way better than we give them credit for.
0: And they all have their own personality. And a good engineer has a really good working knowledge of the characteristics of all mics or the the basic mics that you're going to see in a good studio. Back when I was cutting, I knew exactly what I was going to use on piano or any given instrument, but you can start there. But a lot of times you're going to have to change because every instrument sounds different, and every instrument that's played in a given room is going to sound different, and you've got to marry up the microphone with the instrument in that room. So knowing your mic's... And knowing how to use your mics is incredibly important. And don't be afraid to use a microphone in Omni. My God, I can't tell you the number of times that I've changed a mic out to an Omni. Moved it a little bit closer, maybe. You have to, to get a little bit more separation. If you need it, you have to move a little closer. But the sound just gets Bigger, Yeah, you have problems. If you're in a bad room, you're going to get bad reflections. And so you got to be smart about it. But if you're in a good room with a great player, uh, Omnis can really sound huge, a lot bigger than a cardioid or, you know, any other pattern, just experiment. So
1: when you're talking about this omni-switch, are you visualizing some particular instruments where you've experienced that and really enjoyed it? Brass. Brass, okay. Tell us more about that.
0: Well, the brass section, they're really loud to begin with, but you go out to the room and you listen to them.
1: Yeah, I know. My my daughter's taking trumpet right now, so she's
0: practicing (laughs) in the dining room. (laughs) God bless your heart. (laughs) Well... At any rate, sounds great. Sorry, I love it. Yeah, I'm out of here. But go out to the room and listen to the the instrument just as it's being played by the artist, and you get a sense of how huge the sound can be. And it's your job to capture that. Well, how are you going to know what it's going to sound like or should sound like unless you go out and just listen and study it? Okay. Well... Then you got to figure out how to, how to record it. Using an Omni microphone is going to pick up reflections all around the room. Those reflections are basically what you're hearing when you go out to listen, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: that's part of the sound. If you can capture it in a way that sounds closer to the real thing, then you're doing your job. But you have to be smart about it. The microphone doesn't have that psychological mind-altering, I don't want to listen to that part to it. It picks up everything, so you got to be careful.
1: Yeah, the mic doesn't have a brain. Our no, ears doesn't. have a brain that filters what we're
0: hearing absolutely, so that
1: we can listen to just what we want to hear.
0: Yeah. So just <laughs> Ask experiment. Just your spouse. <laughs> just, yeah. oh, God. I'm not going there. <laughs> so just don't be afraid to experiment and um, just try different things. Yeah, you're going to make some mistakes, but how else are you going to end up learning?
1: So I would say for um, another tip for using the Omni is, rather than feeling like you need a close mic and a room mic to get the sound you want, maybe you can just get it with one Omni and you just move it closer to the source to get more of the source and less of the room, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And, of course, one of the best ways to capture a room for a lot of rooms, is what I call spaced omnis. And you're just taking an omni mic, two of them, pair matched, of course, and you put them at either ends of a room and you start moving them until you start hearing the dimension you want from the room.
1: Interesting. So you feel like if you're just listening to those spaced omnis and you move them around, you should hear the shape and size of the room changing on your speakers as you listen to it.
0: Absolutely, and of course, you're, you'll track them and pan them far left and far right, and determine how much of that you're going to use during the mix. That's a one. That's a wonderful thing to do when you're cutting a big orchestra like the London Symphony. I I did that for them. Oh yeah. My God. Wait, was that the good recording or the bad sound? <laughs> Both. <laughs> Both. <laughs> Uh, but a right. spaced time om, space omnis and CTS back when it was there with eighty people. Oh my God, you're talking about real dimension. Yeah. Well, all right. You can d- use that same theory with a single source. So just you know, try it, and you probably love it. Now, if you want to get down to some some other things, let's talk about file naming conventions. Oh, thrilling. Get your pencils out, dang nabbit. (laughs) Okay, it's very simple, really, when it gets down to it. The outside person, like myself, needs to be able to look look at that file name and know exactly what it is. Now, just
1: to clarify, we're talking about you've mixed your record, you're naming things for the file, now
0: you're handing it off
1: to a mastering engineer like John, and he needs to be able to understand what it is.
0: Exactly. At the very least, I need, at the beginning of the file name, the name of the song, And then comes the mix version. Okay. Is this the master? Is this vocal up? Is this vocal down? Which vocal up? Which vocal down? Is this a TV track? Is it a stereo instrumental? All of the information that I need to be able to make decisions without picking up the phone. Dates work also. The youngest mix is generally the one that the clients have signed off on. But not in all cases. So, if there's any kind of question about when or what master mix was approved by a given client, dates can always help too. So, name of the song, mixed version, date. All right.
1: So, when you say the youngest, you mean the date is nearest to now. So, correct. This is the most recent mix that was done. So the number on it could... I don't know if your mixes ever show up and say mix 8, mix oh, 10. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah.
0: So you wouldn't know the that difference means nothing necessarily to me. with those. Probably. That means nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to pick the phone up, right? I don't want to pick the phone up. That takes time. And it busts my groove. So. <laughs> and if the phone's
1: not in stereo. It doesn't <laughs> no, sound good. it's not. you got these incredible all. speakers. Do you yeah. take your calls on these big mastering speakers? <laughs>
0: I probably should not do that. Okay, these files, these mixed versions of a given track, of a given song, it's very nice if you will provide a common start point, meaning your file start point should be able... I I should be able to snap all of your file start points to the cursor, a given spot, and they be in 100% accurate sample, accurate sync. Okay? Okay. This is nice when I get this because, and I'll give you an example of how I use that. If I'm going along mastering a song and all of a sudden I lose a word or a phrase that I just can't hear, all I have to do is snap that vocal up version right below it, highlight the the vocal up version for that one phrase, pop it in, and I'm done and I'm continuing on and I've solved the problem. In three seconds, it's done. All right, if I don't have that common start point, okay, I've got to go and sync them up with waveforms down to the sample. All right, it takes me another 15 seconds. But if I have to do that every single time, well, it kind of slows my day down and I get pissed off about it. And you don't want that, so.
1: I'm just going to point out to rock stars that hiring a professional mastering engineer might be more affordable at three seconds rate than at three hours rate, for example.
0: Yeah, it all impacts the costs. So, anyway, using uh, common start points is a uh, really nice thing to have. Kick and bass relationship. It's probably one of the hardest things. Just loud, right? Just, Just jam it, bust it loud, loud as hell, right? Absolutely. It's one of the hardest things you're going to try and marry up. It really is tough. And if those two elements are not recorded correctly, it's even harder. So realize that you're going to have trouble if the recording of those elements are not done professionally. You're going to end up replacing the kick a lot. Have a good catalog of replacements that you can experiment with. You can't replace the bass. That's Somebody should work on that. But. Um, <laughs> If the player hasn't uh, played correctly and is too dynamic yeah, it's going to be a problem. But the marriage of those two is as important as any other part of the mix. It's just something you've got to work on and get it right. There's a lot of things that I can do in mastering to help, but I need you to put an awful lot of effort in those marriages. Yeah. So you're saying don't be afraid to use samples if you got them? Absolutely. Whatever it takes to get the sound right and get the feel right.
1: So. What's the more common error that you hear at the mastering stage? Kicks too loud, kicks too soft, snares too loud, snares too soft? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you yeah. knew that was a loaded question. No matter if you answered yes or no to anything, all the mixes in the in the future would come with the Absolutely. reverse happening.
0: Now, here's here's a real classic problem is lack of uniformity in frequency response. Okay. If you've got a track that is just just dull, just no life, no top into it, and you've got a vocalist that has got a razor edge eq put on her him whoever and it's just not matching up then i got a big problem and i'm going to call you and have you mix it again or get you to send send me a stem you know so lack of frequency continuity is a problem that when it does occur there's not much that i can do to fix it
1: well let me ask you this so if you're receiving tracks from somebody who's feeling good about their work, but not 100% confident, should they automatically send you some sort of basic stems, you know, drums, instruments, bass, vocal? Is that something sure. that's good as a, at a mastering stage, or is that something that's a real hassle?
0: It's not a hassle for me at all. As a matter of fact, I'm, I uh, do end up getting the very basic stem, which is a stereo instrumental and a stereo full vocal track with all effects, and such that when I pull those two tracks and lock them together at the common start point, right, right, <laughs> and play them at, play those two tracks at unity gain, I should have your mix. I end up getting that quite often uh, because I then am the one that's going to end up having to create versions, you know, for licensing, and that's another thing. Pe- people really should think about the mixed versions that are required for licensing. These days, I hate to get off on a tangent, but monetizing recorded music nowadays has turned into a real issue because they're giving our our product away, right? right? Well, there are other ways to monetize the recordings through licensing, through broadcast and film. But those mixes, those facilities, especially the film people need um, very different mixes. They need a lot of stems. So uh, studying that stem requirement w- might prove to be very financially rewarding for the artist. And if you're the one that has done it uh, early on during the the production stage, then you're the one that's going to have you know kudos because you did it. And, yeah. Yeah. So
1: just to clarify that again. If you think you know, you know who might be helping you place this music in licensing or something. Just find out from them ahead of time what are some of the things that they like delivered to them, so that you make sure you have all those items. Yeah, because I've I've seen it. You know, an artist comes back. If uh, I mean now, I always will mix ma- instrumentals and deliver those automatically without being asked to just do it. And, absolutely, and make sure that they got them. And absolutely, you know, a lot of times an artist won't have thought of that, and they'll be very grateful that you did.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Well, groovy. Um well, John, I think we got to take a break here for a moment and then we'll come into the jam session. But rockstars before we before we break, I'll remind you once again that I will include show notes with links to all the stuff John's talking about and that will be at rsrockstars.com. You just search John Mayfield and I'll take you right to the blog post. And also on your iPhone, if you're listening there in the podcast app, you can just press on the logo and up will pop the show notes and you can just click right through with your finger no matter where you are in the world right now. We'll see you guys in just a few moments for the jam session. Hey everybody, it's Lid Shaw, and I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of Recording Studio Rockstars. I really appreciate you, and I really appreciate your time. And as a way of saying thank you, I've created a special mix tutorial just for you, Rockstars, totally free, called the Mix Master Bundle. With it, you get over two hours of detailed videos watching over my shoulder as I mix a song in my studio. Plus, I give you the free ebook that explains how I recorded the tracks, and you get downloadable multi-tracks so that you can practice your mixes, including the Pro Tools session file using nothing but stock plugins in Pro Tools, all of which you would find in any other DAW, whether you're on Logic or Studio One or Reaper. Maybe you're struggling with trying to improve your mix technique, or maybe you just simply don't have access to multi-track files or can't record a full drum set in your studio. I wanted to give you a chance to create your own mixes from full drum Kit, bass, and guitar is recorded in my studio. The song is called American Winter and it's off my instrumental record Skadoosh, and it's all available for you totally free right now. All you need to do to get it is text Mix Master Bundle to 33444 and I'll send it directly to your email. Again, that's Mix Master Bundle with no space to 33444. 444, or you can go directly to mixmasterbundle.com, enter your email, and I'll send all the files directly to you. Thanks so much, Rockstars. We'll see you guys in the jam session. Cheers. Hey, Rockstars, it's Lid Shaw. You're listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. We're back with the jam session. I'm here with John Mayfield at Mayfield Mastering. John... Thanks for being here with us. So you ready to jam? You bet. Let's right, do it. All right, cool. So, John, when you started out in recording, what was one of the things that was holding you back?
0: Education. You had to get it. You just can't walk up to gear and expect to know how to use it. Right, so you just turned on YouTube or what? Yeah. No, I went to school. I did, but back in 1970, actually. 69 was the summer of
1: love. Clearly, you weren't at school then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have been. But, no, I had to, at one point in time, make my decision uh, about what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And from playing in the studio, that's where I figured I wanted to go, because I knew that playing live was a young man's game. It's not going to last forever. It was fun, real fun while it was there, but I knew it wasn't going to last me. So I had to get some form of knowledge before I jumped in. And that's what I'm concerned about, about a lot of the folks that are going out and buying black boxes, sitting in their bedroom with a, a computer and a box, and just going after it with absolutely no knowledge whatsoever of the fundamentals of recording.
1: Fox stars, he's disdainfully staring at my laptop right now as we speak.
0: <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. No, that's working great. That's working <laughs> awesome. But no, you got to have some knowledge before you get into this.
1: Okay, cool. Well, so when you were starting out, what was some of the best advice you received
0: as you were gathering the knowledge? All right. Well, like I said earlier, getting the sound right at the source is probably one of the best things I ever picked up because that is where you get your best sound. Don't go to your EQ to try and make it sound right. Move the mic. Move the person. Change the mic. Do something at the source to try and get it right. Change the preamp. List three basic changes that you can make by moving your mic. Well, you've got your proximity effect. That's the initial thing.
1: What does proximity effect do? What's the, the effect?
0: The closer you get to the mic, you get more presence you get more bottom end but then you get a lot more explosives so you got to be careful about that you have to have a good pop filter i brought a couple of bad pop filters these are not (laughs) the best but at any rate (laughs) you didn't call so proximity will change immensely the sound Uh, the farther back you get the more room you get and the thinner the voice starts to sound is it the right sound Or is it the wrong sound? If you're close, is it too close? If it's a really exposed vocal track, this is where it becomes really important. That's where you should make your changes. Let's see, that's two? Do I have to come up with the third one?
1: No, we can skip to the next one. So (laughs) we'll call the next one the third one because it's the same (laughs) idea. Yeah. So share with us a recording tip, hack, or secret sauce
0: that our listeners could use today. Well, I spoke earlier about using Omni's, but one of the huge tricks that I use and I used back when I was mixing was the simple and old technology of parallel compression. So to explain parallel compression, for those not up on it, what you're doing is you are combining two signals from the original source you are combining the really compressed version and the original source and you're combining those together in such a way that you have brought the overall level up a bit but by bringing in the original you're bringing in you're bring back in some of the original transients which are very important the variability of the sound that you can create is exponential because at the compressor, you will work with your attack times, your ratios, your release times to determine the type of compression or compressed sound that you're going to marry up with the original. And then, what is the ratio between the original and the compressed? Well, uh, in uh, current plugins, that's your mix pot. Right. So sort of like your dry wet mix exactly. That is a tool that's that's been used by great mixers and mastering folks forever, and it's a it's a wonderful tool.
1: And the result of using parallel compression is how do you know if you've arrived at the result? Because it sounds a bunch load
0: better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, there you go. Best advice ever. Yeah. All right, so um, how about sharing with us a favorite hardware tool for the studio? I know you're here in the mastering studio, but you've been in a recording studio, you've been in a mix studio, you played a guitar in a studio.
0: I'm sorry. I have to reiterate, my best and most important tool is my room and the speakers that are in the room. That's that's everything to me. You can give me another piece of software. You can give me other plugs. I could come up with a good product with just about any type of software, but I can't make those decisions accurately without the room and the speakers that I know. So, that to me is my most important tool.
1: And ultimately, unless you're just not going to do anything, you've got to make a decision. Exactly. You have to. So, since we're on a podcast... And they can't see the room. Can you
0: describe it to us? It's a room inside a room. The original building is constructed out of AAC, which is autoclave aerated concrete. It's a material that they've been using over in Europe. I ate that
1: stuff for breakfast. A long time.
0: (laughs) But the material is incredible. It's the replacement for cement-filled cement block that a lot of people use for walls. At any rate, if you want to know more about autoclave, aerated concrete, and the principles of it, uh, look it up. You'll be absolutely amazed. But one of the best things about it is that it does not transmit sound. Nice. Or temperature or humidity.
1: Wow. The stuff the three floats. things you don't really want coming into your studio.
0: Yeah, right? Or leaving. Yeah. So the stuff floats. It's incredibly light. You can uh, fire a 45 and it will not go through it. The sound coefficients are amazing.
1: Now, is it, that important in Barry Hill here? Because it might be more important over in East Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't know. We have our own police department here, so no, it's not yeah. very important. But from, from the sound standpoint, we're also really quiet over here, too. So. Yeah. So the, the room inside a room concept is
1: we have one big box that's made out of this aerated concrete, and that is the intention there is— Nothing should leave through it, and nothing should come in through it.
0: Exactly. And those particular walls are parallel. The number one rule you don't do, but that's why we have a room inside that room whose walls are not parallel. Okay. The ceiling, we have a floated ceiling above some rough cedar beams that are there to adjust splash up. That is seven oh three covered in burlap, black burlap, and it's used to calm the sound down. But above that is another probably four or five feet to the top of that ceiling. Okay. So it's a big So and that opens room.
1: up the just the space and it drops the lowest octave of the room right Mm -hmm. by being bigger like that yeah and then the walls that that i see i see the speakers by the back wall and then there's sort of panels but then there's sort of a wall set behind that a little bit the front wall
0: and the back wall are angled in essence they come to an apex at the center of the room and that's of course meant to stop any standing waves Right. Which you don't, you don't want at all. My particular angle that is on those walls is probably not enough, which is why we have diffusion back on the back wall. The angle ended up at that distance, it's physics. I didn't really understand it until I sat down and listened, and I said, whoops, that's not right. <laughs> so we're going to have to diffuse the back wall. So we put up diffusers on uh, the back wall, and boom, it solved it. Well, so let, let's ask this. Let's flip it now
1: to a space that's not as perfect, beautifully designed as this. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about the importance of getting to know your monitors, know your room. Have you ex- been in experiences where you've gotten to know other rooms that were less than perfect or sure. that were far from
0: perfect? Back when I was recording and mixing, I was freelancing worked all over. Well, because of the variance of rooms that you're going to walk into, you need to create some common things that you can depend on. Thus, I carried my own set of speakers, my own amps, and set them up before I started work. But the first thing I did before I walked into any room that I had not worked prior to, I sat down and listened for a good 30 minutes. You have to. You have to know the room. I'm using my own speakers. I'm using my own amps, my own cables, everything, but they're going to sound different in every single room. So I had to sit down and listen to a number of different references that I listened to every time I went to a new room that taught me how the speakers were reacting in that given room. So three favorite records of yours? No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going there. All right. Uh-uh. And then
1: let's say for what advice can you share, just general advice in terms of if somebody's got a space and it's it's kind of funky, it's a home studio space, what are the simplest ways to just sort of improve the sound of a space in a, in a home studio space?
0: Wow, that is a very tough question. And the smaller the room, the worse it gets. Yeah. And the harder it is to fix it.
1: Well, for example, I've heard people suggest an overstuffed couch can help.
0: Oh, absolutely. Anything to break up any sort of standing wave issue. You've got to find a way to stop the reflections from bouncing back and forth. So diffusion, a couch, anything that will stop frequencies as low as you can go. Of course, a couch will address low frequencies very well mm-hmm. so a lot of the things that people do will go in and put big thick triangular shaped absorbing panels in the corners that helps the bottom end some you know to a certain degree but first you've got to stop the standing waves
1: when you say st- you're talking about standing waves like a uh, flutter echo
0: yeah. that kind of stuff any parallel wall or floor ceiling arrangement if they are 100% parallel, you're going to get standing waves. And a hard surface. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Now, another thing to remember is that every room, including mine, has a number of what's called nulls, and it's a real pain in the butt, but you have to know where they are. I have one little tiny one in this room. I know exactly where it is physically. I know exactly where it is. I know the frequency it is. And I know how many hertz either either side of that center frequency it exists. So I know it, and I work around it. If I hear a particular, in this case, a bass, a bass note that seems a little bit low to me, if I move my head back this way or that, and it comes back up, well, I know that I'm sitting in, just in the, in the, the null. null spot or right. something. Like in a bad room, you're gonna have those nulls. Uh, you're gonna have a, you might have a lot of them.
1: Yeah. I mean, in my experience, you can get around some of that by just moving around a lot in the sure. room and just sort of mm-hmm. mentally averaging what you're hearing. But I know that it's challenging to do that. And you know?
0: and that brings up another way that you can fix things is by merely positioning your speakers in different places, away from the wall, closer to the wall. And you'd be surprised at what an inch, how it will change the sound. That's what I ended up doing, having to do here It took me maybe a week before I found the sweet spot, and there is a sweet spot in every room. Uh, Now, it may not necessarily be that sweet in a bad room, of course, but uh, there is, uh, on a relative scale, there's a better position. That can solve all sorts of problems. It's just positioning. So just a reminder, too—
1: Rockstar is that, that when we're talking about the parallel walls and the flutter echoes that happen to, between two parallel hard surfaces, if you clap your hands right in the middle of them, you're going to hear that boing going between them. It's like a zipper echo effect. And anywhere you hear that, you want to get rid of it, and especially in your control room. And so the simplest, quickest solution to that is just to simply put up a soft panel on even just one of those walls right in that spot.
0: Yeah. Fabric covered uh, 703. Yeah. Insulation 703 is compressed and it comes probably, I I guess, in its board uh, stage, is about an inch and a half thick. Just cover it in fabric, put some wood around it, you know, whatever, and start placing them around. You can buy them and there are a lot of folks that make and sell those stuff for really large amounts of money.
1: Last question about that. As far as what you've seen around the world, people's home studios or just studios in general, do you think that people tend to err on the side of not putting up enough 703 in their control room?
0: Hmm. That's a good question. Because,
1: I mean, we all start with drywall, you know, yeah. typically.
0: Yeah. Well, if you want to talk about all the rooms that I've worked in around the world, they've always been just great rooms however lucky you they were <laughs> however they were put together or whoever designed them right they've always been really really nice room where i i never had to sit down and think oh my god what am i going to do now you know no that's yeah. that so i've 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 never really been in or been forced to deal with that kind of situation. I've never set up a room at my home. I'm not ever going to. That's, uh, that's where I go to get away from work.
1: Well, all right. Well, that's still good stuff. I think that yeah. that's just going to open some eyes to some insights about what makes a good control room. So thank yeah. you for that. All right. So um, let's see if we can zip forward towards the end here. Let's go right for the doozy question if mm. you want, What's that? which is this, just what do you think is the single most important thing that our listeners should do? To become a rock star of the
0: recording studio themselves. Mm, referencing, dudes. I'll tell you what. Again, it's you're creating a commodity. Look at it like a business. If you wanted to go into the business of manufacturing, say, a mechanical pencil, okay, you wanted to manufacture one, put it out in the market, and hope that it would sell. Well, what's the smartest thing you can do to make sure it's going to sell? Go out and buy... Every mechanical pencil that is for sale that ostensibly would be your competitor. You bring them back to your lab, whatever. You tear them apart, find out what's good and bad about all of them. And make sure that your product is as good or better than anything that's out there. All right, this is basic 101 economics. That's what you need to do in this business. That's all you're doing. If you want to be successful, your product's got to sell. How's it going to sell? Well, what I just said, it's got to compete. So one of the best tools out there to learn about what sounds good is the commercial music that is out there, that is successful. Buy it, listen to it, sit down and study it. And I'm I'm not talking about with a beer or you know while you're eating. No, sit down, focus.
1: Move your head an inch to the left and an inch to the right and hear what it does.
0: Yeah, exactly. You need to teach yourself the ability to create a mental solo button, in essence. You need to be able to listen to a piece of music and automatically switch your mind to one instrument in that mix and not listen to anything else. And then as quick as you did that, you need to be able to pop back to the entire song, the entire mix, and go back and forth to different instruments, listening to them individually, just like you would if you had a solo button on your console. It's the exact same philosophy. If you can teach yourself to do that, you'll become a much better mixer, I do it in mastering, and unfortunately, it's become part of my psyche, which I can't listen to a piece of music without analyzing it. Right. So it kind of ruins the entertainment factor of listening to music, but sorry, <laughs> that's your job.
1: Well, you know, if you're listening to the London Symphony Orchestra, then maybe everything you solo is pretty great anyway. So. Well,
0: it is. It is. But it's one of those tools that you really need to teach yourself. But Honestly, you've got the best education available, and it's free. Well, it's almost. Well, yeah, music is free nowadays, right? Just about, you know. That's the unfortunate side of it.
1: Well, that's how it started, too, isn't
0: it? I suppose. Yes, indeed it did. Yeah, music has kind of come full circle back to what it was originally designed to do, and that's entertain people. And back in the day, somebody figured out, hey, wait a minute. If we record that, we can sell it and make some money. And thus, the recording industry blossomed and bloomed and we all had business and everybody made money and all of a sudden they started give, giving it away. And now, well, things are different.
1: Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us on Recording Studio Rockstars today. It's really Been a blast listening to you tell all these stories and a lot of cool tips and stuff. Great. Tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and where can they find you or if they want to reach out to you and say hello. You bet.
0: We're in Nashville. Our website is mayfieldmastering.com. Pretty simple. Our phone number is uh, 615-383-3708. I'm always here. I'm always here working, but I am quite open to helping. Uh, That's what I've kind of started doing over the last decade is giving back to the industry that's been so good to me over the last 45 years. It's time to give back, and that's what I'm doing. I give seminars to a lot of the local schools and answer all sorts of questions. And believe me, there is no stupid question to ask. Don't be intimidated about asking what you think is a a silly question. Just ask it. How else you going to learn? Yeah. So call anytime. We're always here, and I will be glad to help.
1: All right. Thank you so much, John Mayfield, for joining us. And we look forward to seeing more of you around the studio.
0: You bet. Enjoyed it.
1: Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, please leave a rating and review on iTunes to help reach more people. You can click directly over to iTunes or go to recordingstudiorockstars.com/review for an easy explanation. And if you want more free content, all you have to do is text RS Rockstars to 33444. Again, that's RS Rockstars to 33444 and I'll keep you in the loop with articles, videos and podcast updates. And I'll let you know about any upcoming giveaway offers, all totally free. Thanks for listening. I'm Lyd Shaw, and this is Recording Studio Rockstars. Now go make great music.